Hello, and welcome to Inside Medicine. I'm Dr. Jordan Schlain, founder of Private Medical, practicing physician, and someone very interested in what science can tell us about how to better live our lives. Today's guest is Dr. Carrie Nadeau, the Natasee Foundation Endowed Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics, and the director of the Sean N. Parker Center for Allergy and Asthma Research at Stanford University. For more than 30 years, she has focused on how environmental and immune genetic factors affect allergies, immune tolerance, and asthma. Hosting today's conversation is our Silicon Valley-based pediatrician, Dr. Erica Drazen. Dr. Drazen and Dr. Nadeau discuss wildfires and climate change, including the issues of how to protect your immune system from air pollution, how allergies are affected by changing weather, and the long-term effects of smoke exposure. Now over to my colleague and partner, Dr. Erica Drazen. Welcome, Kari. Thank you so much for talking with us today. You are an allergist by training. So how did you become interested in the topic of wildfires and climate change? Oh, thanks so much, Erica. It's great to be here today. And I'm so excited to talk to you about wildfires and climate change because it is part and parcel of what we do every day as allergy, asthma, and immunology experts. Asthma is very reflective of climate change and pollution. And immunology is also very reflective of exposures and environmental effects of diet, of air pollution. Wildfires tend to be the most extreme case of intense exposures that can be acute as well as chronic, and they can immediately affect the immune system by inflammatory ways, and they can cause asthma, they can cause other diseases too. So for me, it made complete sense to work with climate change in this specialty. I would say that we, especially here on in the, in the West Coast, but I think probably all over the U.S., we, we all now know how to check the AQI on our weather app. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what AQI means. What do those numbers mean? So AQI stands for Air Quality Index. It's a way to measure something in the air called particulate matter 2.5 microns. Why is that important? It reflects PM 2.5. And PM 2.5 is important, particulate matter 2.5 microns, because it's so small it can get into the very lower reaches of our lungs and the alveoli. So it tends to be a health indice. However, it doesn't measure everything. It doesn't measure like organic compounds that can be in the air. It doesn't measure other pollutants in the air, but at least it's the best we can do right now. And that's good in terms of monitoring. Typically, an air quality index of about 30 is equivalent to smoking one cigarette a day. So that's important for people to realize that when they see those numbers come across their monitor or they see different colors like yellow to red to purple, just know that it was a little bit arbitrary in terms of the colors. People still don't know exactly how the air quality index affects all of us, especially children, pregnant women, the elderly. So if you're outside and you're feeling like you want to cough and the outside air is bothering you, then no matter what number it is or what color it is, get inside to a filtered room, put on an N95 mask, those are good filters. 
to getting out smoke, getting out air pollution. So even if you're exposed to air pollution near a highway for six hours, it can affect your immune system. So there's no safe distance, but importantly is we can mitigate, we can change our behaviors around it. Do we know some of the biologic effects of wildfire smoke on our bodies in a high AQI? Do, do we know the different systems that are affected? So from a lot of epidemiological studies, from studies being done on firefighters, outside of the risk of, you know, fighting fires alone, firefighters in general have a 10-year less life expectancy than the typical American. And a lot of studies have been done on firefighters, and that's because some of them get acutely exposed to wildfire smoke versus chronic, and it affects their heart, it affects the cardiovascular system, and increases thrombosis. Also affects um, their inflammatory markers like C-reactive uh, protein. They've also been shown to be at increased risk of cancer because of all the carcinogens that are released in smoke. And then, of course, they affect our respiratory tract quite dramatically. Um, they can increase strokes, blood pressure, and then they also have an effect on our gut. So with all of that, the wildfire fighters are kind of the extreme. But unfortunately now across the West and across many parts of the world, there's more frequent wildfires to the public and especially to the underserved and communities that are under-resourced and poor. And uh, with that, we've been noticing across the world that there are dramatic health effects of wildfire smoke and air pollution on causing premature birth, causing uh, premature death. Um, about 7 million people die per year due to air pollution and wildfire smoke exposures. And that's the public. Those are not firefighters included in that data. So it's really serious. And unfortunately, Smoke exposure, even 100 miles away, is very dangerous. And as the smoke hovers in the air, it actually turns into different compounds, like chemical compounds that are even more toxic than they were days before. We really have to be careful about this, especially where we live in California. It seems that when we are outside, we can smell and feel the difference between the uncontrolled burns and what we are told are the more controlled burns. Do we know the differences between uncontrolled burns and controlled burns in terms of the air, the, the surrounding air that we breathe? There's actually people that study the smoke levels and the smoke toxicity from controlled burns versus uncontrolled wildfires. So the intensity of wildfires that are raging and create their own weather patterns of tornado, fire tornadoes they have such an intense heat and intense products of the chemicals that the wildfire smoke produced by wildfires is 100 times more toxic than, let's say, air pollution. It's 10 times more toxic than that smoke made by a, a prescribed burn. And, but it's also much less potent. It's also less amount. And why is that important? That's because when people can have the ability to have prescribed burns, that's important to clear out the brush in the bottom of the forest so that it doesn't lead to a terribly intense wildfire that spreads upward and sideways. And what's great about a control burn is it is just that. It's controlled. And so you know in advance that your community is going to have a controlled burn. And so you can leave that community and be able to go to a, an area where you won't be exposed to the smoke. Whereas in wildfires, it's completely random and 
you don't know if you're going to get exposed or not because of how fast the wildfire is spreading. So what has been shown across the world is that controlled burns really do cut down on the amount of smoke. It also cuts down on the frequency of wildfires in that region. It also is a really good way to clear out areas of the forest so that the forest can grow newly and reforestation and carbon sequestration can happen at a good level. When the Native Americans were really taking care of the earth, especially in the West, they would do controlled burns now and again because they saw that it would decrease the frequency of wildfires overall because you just don't have as much intense fuel on the ground with dense forests. Uh, by controlling the ability to take some of that forest away in a very prescribed way. And so hopefully the California Air Resources Board, for example, will allow more districts to do controlled burns because we've published data to show that it's healthy for the forest and it's not unhealthy for people to be able to be around when a controlled burn happens. What can we do when the AQI is high? And when should our children be playing on the soccer team outside? And when should they be, you know, kept inside and told not to practice? You know, how, how do we make those decisions? We don't have all the information yet, but in general, if you go outside and it says air quality index greater than 100 for sensitive people, Children are in that sensitive area. It's been shown that children that are developing and under the age of 18, anyone between 5 to 18, if they're exposed to over 100 AQI, even for eight hours, it can increase the risk of coughing, asthma, wheezing. I, I would strongly suggest just not playing the soccer game, just taking the time to have the child stay indoors and be safe. The child's lungs are developing. Even more importantly, if your child is under the age of five, the infants and toddlers and young children have been shown to have increased asthma rates up to fourfold if they're exposed to AQIs in about a hundred range. So just think of that because that's typically of the yellow zone. And anything north of that, anything worse in terms of colors on the AQI, it's far worse for a child and pregnant women as well. So I would say if you have to be outside, wear an N95 mask, but try to limit it for your child. There is no study on how much time could perhaps hurt a child's lungs. So I just would avoid any time outdoors if their quality index is around hundred or more. I know that's hard. Our school systems sometimes are open and sometimes parents, you know, we need to have our children go to school. But importantly is we are trying to get more and more policies and legislation so that schools can have filters um, and that if their quality index is over 100, that children can be in their classrooms with filters there uh, so that they can be protected. What do we do about people who don't have that as a resource? I think that it is so important to focus on environmental justice issues. I mean, HEPA was a MERV 13. We strongly suggest MERV 13 if you do own a home. But if your home is old, you have to double check and make sure that the aeration in your home is good uh, because otherwise the dirty air from the outside is getting right into your home. 
for people that don't have access to filters or don't immediately have access to N95, we are trying to, through communities as well as many communities throughout California, we're trying to establish clean rooms so that the community can go to a room that is filtered. Now, that's hard because we're in the time of COVID, so we also have to be COVID careful. Uh, and typically, those clean rooms will be air-conditioned so that people that otherwise would have had deep stress from the hot climate in the time of wildfire season can also get a retrieve. Wildfire smoke, having a viral illness, all of these things for any one person could be the tipping point. I'm just going to repeat what you said. A HEPA filter with a MERV-13, would you, would you mind explaining that? Absolutely. There are different gradations of filters. And lots of different companies make these. Honeywell, 3M, they go into your air conditioning system if you have a central air home. Some people don't, so you have to buy these separately and they have to match the square footage of a certain area in in your house. So just buyer beware, really research these filters because you might buy one thinking that it's going to work throughout your whole house, but it might only work for a room the size of a bedroom with a closed door. So there are different grades of these filters. And in order to decrease the exposure of smoke, these small little particles that we talked about, 2.5 microns, which are less than the diameter of your hair, in order to really get them out of the air, you need a MERV 13 or higher. And what does that mean? Well, that means the air exchange is going to be a little slower. That means that the particles are going to get Basically, just like the lint area in your dryer, you're going to get a lot more lint, as it were. You're going to get a lot more smoke particles filling up that filter. So you'll have to probably change it out a little bit more frequently, but it's worth it because at a MERV 13 or higher, that's the grade of filtration that you need to get rid of wildfire smoke. Do you suggest sticking to N95 masks when the AQI is really high? Or is it an individual decision based on vulnerability? Mm -hmm. uh, based on data, uh, you should wear an N95 and not one with a vent. You know, for COVID purposes, surgical masks are what the CDC recommends. That's what you should do. Because there, you're using it for a different purpose. You're using the mask to prevent if you sneeze or you cough from your infectious agent getting to someone else. Whereas the N95 mask that has no vent, that has really important filtration during a wildfire, during horrible air pollution, you're wearing it to protect you. Because when you have a well-fitted N95 mask on your face, you will not be able to get exposed, luckily, to most of the particles in wildfire smoke. I'd also love to just ask you while you're here, for our listeners, what your thoughts are on allergy and if there are any new and up-and-coming allergy treatments or, or theories that we should be thinking about. One of the things we did publish this year is a study in the Bay Area because I noticed in my patients they were coming in every year and saying, oh, this is the worst year, worst pollen season. Oh, I can't, my pollen allergies are so bad. And I would keep trying to treat them and it would never be enough. Now with climate change, now with global warming temperatures happening, we are seeing increase in seasons of pollen by two months. For the last 17 years in California, for example, in the Bay Area, where trees used to pollinate in March, now they start pollinating in January because of the warm temperatures. And this is happening throughout the globe. 
So you're seeing a lot of pollen spread. You're seeing different plant species grow now where they wouldn't have been able to grow otherwise, like in Norway, and they're releasing tons of pollen. So allergies are going to get worse, unfortunately, because of climate change, and we need to mitigate them. We need to think about new ways to prevent, but also new ways to treat. And I do think there are some really good um, new treatments around. There's sublingual immunotherapy. I, I hope that more Americans and doctors will use it. There's also new nasal sprays um, to help with nasal uh, congestion and rhinitis that people should be aware of. Um, and also, there are some new powerful biologics for people that have more than one allergy. Most biologics can be given monthly or every two weeks of shock, and they work. A lot of other people that don't suffer from allergies and asthma think that they are, you know, nuisance diseases, but I would say they're not. They are truly disabling diseases. And so if we can accommodate, mitigate, and adapt to climate change, that's important. One out of three people on the planet has allergies at some point in their life. So thanks for asking that question. Well, I am honored to speak with you today. And it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's wonderful. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to Inside Medicine and our guest, Dr. Kari Nadeau. In just a few weeks, we will be interviewing renowned gastroenterologist, microbiome expert, and someone I call a friend, Dr. Emron Mayer. He is the author of The Gut Immune Connection and directs the G. Oppenheimer Center for Neurobiology of Stress and Resilience and Cure Digestive Diseases Research Center, both at UCLA.